Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today we are recording episode 74. Today's guest, Adrian Jones, came to our show for episode 69, but he generously came back and he's willing to share the, another adversity that he went through. Before I introduce him, I want to introduce my book, which is A Gift from Adversity, which is available on Amazon. And A Gift from Adversity subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And if you go on Amazon, you can find A Gift from Adversity by Jury Love. So please check it out. After I publish my book, I have gotten a lot of messages from people from all over the places that they are also a victim of child sex abuse, or domestic violence, bullying, and homelessness. And I felt compelled to create a platform where people can talk solely about adversity, but not only that, tools that they all use to overcome, and a gift that came from it. Before I introduced, Tonight's guest, I want to shout out to my friend Lovan Gordon and Love Life Now Foundation. Lovan came to our show, but last Friday I got to model for a fashion show fundraiser they held, and I got to meet the victims of domestic violence, and I got to walk the runway. And it was very empowering. So I just wanted to mention lovelifenow.org. And if you are going through any domestic violence situation, please check out the website and reach out to them. Help is there. So let's introduce our guest for tonight's podcast. Hi, Adrienne. Hi, Jerry. Hello. Great to see you again. Great to see you. Thanks for having me back on the show. Absolutely. So, Adrienne, before we move on to our first question, can you introduce yourself to our audience, including your name, where you're coming in, and your website, social media, and what you do? Absolutely. And thank you for that opportunity. So, again, it's Adrienne Jones. I'm、uh, joining this conversation from Northern California, just north of San Francisco in Marin County.、Uh, I have、um, a couple of.、Uh, Uh, social media platforms, if you will, that people can connect with me on. One is my website, adrianjones.me. And then I also have a Twitter handle with the same, basically the same thing, adrianjones underscore me. And finally, I do have a podcast myself called Profound Awesomeness、uh, that's also out there as well. If people want to get to know me a little bit better, there are some ways to reach out and get in touch and get to know my story, my message a little bit more. Great. So, adrianjones.me is the website. That's right. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much, Adrian. And I am so honored to have you back on my podcast tonight. I really enjoyed listening to your story on episode 69, which you talked about your heart attack story and then the adversity that you went through. 
But today, we, we are talking about different adversity that you went through along kind of the way of your heart attack journey. So would you please tell us the adversity that you went through? Um, so let's focus on the adoption topic that you mentioned. Yeah, so there you go. I'm adopted. Um, and uh, I found out at a very young age uh, when I was, well, my parents and I have a nice fun debate about when I found out, but uh, we don't really have an agreement when exactly I was told, but before I had an age of consciousness, I think is when they told me. Um, and so I grew up knowing that I was adopted. My younger sister from roughly two years younger than I am is also adopted. Uh, my parents were naturally unable to have children, and so they they raised and grew a family through adoption. It's just the two of us uh, as children in my particular family. We grew up in Colorado, just outside Denver, Colorado, in a town called Littleton, uh, where we grew up on what I like to call a, a magical little petting zoo with horses and chickens and ducks and dogs and cats and guinea pigs and uh, you you name it. And it was uh, in many ways, a very idyllic upbringing. But it goes without saying that when you're adopted, it comes with other territories that, you know, we all have things that we deal with and things that we um, maybe be ch are challenged by or if we find adverse. Um, being raised as an adoptee, I mean, I, I felt all the love in the world from my family. Um, I think it was hard at times to reconcile, well, how do I really fit into the family as we talk about, as my parents would talk about the lineage and the history of, of their ancestors? You know, does that, I always wonder, did that carry on through me as I'm a adopted member of the family? Or, you know, do I automatically assume that they are You got muted. Can you unmute yourself? Unmute myself. There we are. I don't know how that happened. That automatically clicked on. I apologize to your audience that for that. Uh, but yeah, so basically, I think where I left off or before I got muted was just sort of connecting in with the family and understanding the my connections to the family lore and, and uh, the legacy of the ancestors that came before us in the family. Uh, and that was some, that was some challenging, you know, adverse moments for me growing up and trying to understand how I fit in in that way. Thank you so much for sharing that. And let's talk about your uh, adoptive parents. Like, do, do they look like you? Are they like similar looking or completely different looking? Well, growing up, it always cracked me up that uh, when people would say I look like my my parents, I mean, I, I guess you could say there are some ways that we do look together. I think there was some genetic mirroring, if you will, that took place. Um, but I think if you saw the family profile, you would say absolutely um, uh, I don't see a real common connection between physically how we look, and especially with my um, younger sister, 
what you can't tell here is I sit on the screen. Well, I, I used to have dark hair. It's turning a bit of a grayer shade these days. Um, but I'm about six foot, two feet tall uh, with darker features and dark hair, whereas my, my sister is about five foot two, uh, very fair in features and with blonde hair. Um, and so physically, we're very different. And so for us growing up, I mean, we were brother and sister and have a very, very strong bond, always have had a very strong bond. But when we go out and introduce ourselves as brother and sister, people don't know we're adopted. They, they might look at us a little funny. And there were a couple of times, Jury, um, believe it or not, when we would go out when we were old enough to go out to dinner and to bars by our, you know, by ourselves and being of a drinking age and stuff like that, where we would go to a restaurant and, a, and my sister would go to the bathroom and the waiter would or waitress would come up and say, would your date like something to drink? It was like, no, no, no. That's my sister. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, that just happened a couple of times. It was always awkward and made me squeam as they said that. Um, but I guess it's understandable if you saw us together, you you wouldn't see a physical resemblance whatsoever. So did you find out, you said at young age, do you remember how old you were? Well, see, this is where... My, my parents and I have this running de running debate, and I don't know if it will ever be solved because we don't have any eyewitnesses. <laughs> but um, we have, uh, you know, I, cl I claim that I found out when I was in fourth or fifth grade. Um, that's when, and my parents will say, that's when I actually understood what they were telling me that I was adopted. Um, but I, regardless, when they did in fourth that that moment and maybe it was fifth grade come to think about it jury but uh when they told me uh i thought it was really cool i thought it made me stand out and gave me a point of differentiation from all the other kids who may not have been adopted it gave me an opportunity to go to school and run around and tell my friends hey i'm adopted i didn't fully comprehend everything that it meant but it it was an interesting point of differentiation for me that I held with a great amount of pride, believe it or not, that I was adopted and it helped me have my own identity in a time when that was really important before we got into middle school and the teenage years and stuff like that. It gave me a, a unique and, 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 and maybe other adoptees would think that that was a very strange response. But for me, it, it, it was it was something that I felt very strongly about and carried with me with a great deal of pride. Were you ever experienced, did you ever experience bullying because you were adopted? Yes. Yeah. Um, not very often, but definitely it did happen where people would, would chide me or, or mention, well, they're not your real, your parents aren't your real parents. Um, you know, that would happen, but, you know, I just would ignore it. And I knew where I come, came from. And my parents were the parents that raised me, my adoptive parents were and are my parents um, and always have been my parents. But yeah, there was some bullying, but luckily I was tall relative to the rest of my peer group. So no one gave me too hard a time uh, in those in those early years. Yeah. So after you found out, like, did you have identity crisis? You said that you felt kind of cool, but like, you no, know, was it a time 
maybe later on, maybe teenage year, high school, adulthood, is there any part of you that kind of start to wonder um, who your parents are or maybe identity crisis or self-doubt? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question. So I was born where I live now in Marin County, California, but when I was four, my dad accepted a job in, in the Denver area. And so that's when we moved to Littleton, Colorado. And I lived there when I was four years old to when I was a senior in high school. Uh, and then I went to, um, I was in high school in Massachusetts and then went to college in Southern California and graduate school in Southern California. And I, as I grew up and got older, as was a young adult, I lived in Belgium, I lived in Hong Kong, I lived in San Francisco. Eventually, uh, you know, got married, had children, and and moved into the suburbs out of San Francisco, and moved to Marin County, in, back in 2006. Um, so a little over 16 years ago, and it was then that I started to wonder. I knew I was born here. I obviously knew I was adopted, and then I began to wonder: um, Am I standing in line? in the grocery store behind a blood relative of mine. Is that my mother, my biological mother? Is that my biological father? Is this a cousin, a first cousin, a second cousin, a third cousin that I'm interacting with? Uh, when I went to back to school night for our kids back in elementary school, when they were in elementary school, I would wonder, am I sitting next to my brothers and sisters? Are they here on this campus too? Because it's conceivable that they were about my same age, who might have children about the same age of my children. I started to coach youth soccer. I loved coaching youth soccer and did that for a long time in our community. And I would wonder if I was coaching a niece or a nephew um, on my soccer teams. <laughs> so that's when I really started to, it, at that stage, and, and at that point, I'm a, I'm a married man, I'm a father of young children. And that's when I really started to start to have, I don't know if this is the exact word, this, this wonderment about where I came from and are, am I surrounded? I'm at my roots where I was born. Do my roots connect me to other biological roots within my community? And that's when it started to happen for me. But prior to that, then when you're living in Hong Kong or Belgium or Massachusetts, you didn't that didn't occur to you. Didn't no, I had other things that I was thinking about in those days. Uh, I was trying to start my life and travel the world and and um, find my fortune and figure out my legacy and do all those things you do when you're in your late teens and in your twenties. Um, it really didn't hit me, and, and I was very. Uh, and have been very comfortable with the identity it, within my adoptive family. Uh, that These were my parents. And I never had, uh, you know, it, it, it hits adoptees at various stages in their lives when they choose to search or begin to ask questions. I mean, it can happen at young ages and the teenager and all this stuff. Like I say, for me, it didn't really start to happen until I was well into my 30s um, that I started to have those questions. Um, so that was, you know, my journey. But like I say, for adopt adoptees, they would have, and I believe you've had a, another guest uh, a few episodes ago who talked about his particular journey. Like, you know, it's all a, 
all of our adoptee journeys are very unique uh, and, and we arrive at, at times of, of questioning at different stages of our growth and development. I really appreciate you sharing the story of being adoptee and then adaptation. Um, just to let you know, I'm from Japan and I never grew up where the culture really accept adoption much um, because of bloodlines and history of Japan. So for instance, if you are um, doctor's son, you're gonna be doctor if you are you know, politician, son, you're going to be politician. But not only that, like, say, the last name has kanji, which is a Chinese character. And then people judge you sometimes with the Chinese character that they inherit. So, for instance, my mom's side, my dad's side is different. My dad's side used most like a farming side of the Chinese character, where my mom's side uses more samurai side of the character. So when you see the tree, we had a cast system that we kind of had discrimination uh, within us. So the bloodline, keeping it like in a family is like really, really important to our culture. Where in America, I hear a lot of story about adoption and I hear a lot of um, people, it's not too rare. And then um, I think the culture is very different in America. So. What, what do you think, like when you are in Hong Kong, for instance, Belgium, have you thought about those things or it didn't really occur to you as adaptee or maybe had any limitation of your ability or thinking way? No, it really didn't. It didn't bring inhibitions or limitations into my life. I was determined that I was going to go live my life a certain way and I had the love and support of my parents the adoptive ones. And I'll tell you what, though, Jerry, the, it, along the lines of what you're saying about the Japanese culture, it, it triggered a thought and a memory that I had that my, my parents shared with me not that long ago. Uh, my mother had an aunt who, now my mother's from England, and uh, she had, a, so her aunt was English. And in her will, she left a little bit of, of inheritance money to her various uh, cousins or neat, you know, um, in her family. And those ch children were the age group of myself and my younger sister. And because we weren't blood relatives to her, we were not, we did not participate in any inheritance from her because we weren't blood. And uh, when my parents told me this, I was probably late, mid to late forties. And I was, shocked and at the same time not even the least bit surprised that that you hear about these things happening um and it was the first time that i'd heard about that level of call it discrimination within my own adoptive family lines uh where i experienced that my sister experienced that not directly we were never told this would have happened when we were children or or probably pre-teenage uh years uh, but we were kept, that was kept secret from us all the way until, you know, seven or eight, six, seven years ago. Wow. Do you think it's a British kind of culture? An American, maybe? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I, I mean, this goes back, this would have been in the 70s. 
times were different then. Um, I, I can't attribute that behavior to either that particular person or the culture in which she was raised and living at the time. Uh, it's, it's really hard for me to discern the difference between the two. Um, but I think there were, it probably happened here in the States as well. Similar situations that children were considered not blood and therefore not part of the family and not deserving of uh, inheriting family things, um, which is uh, such a disappointment. It is. It's very shocking. And especially when you consider, obviously, your adopted mom and dad, your parents, and when they don't have discrimination against you and then welcomed you as their children, however, biologically, it's not related. But then the relatives or, you know, whoever friends, close friends, start to discriminate like that, that must be truly heartbreaking. Truly heartbreaking. I, it, it was really hard to hear, even though I, this wasn't that long ago and I wasn't super young and wasn't dealing with a lot of hormones and emotions or whatever of my being a teenager, rambunctious teenager. Uh, it was hard to hear. And, and I had a fair amount of disbelief that that actually happened in the family, that, that we weren't seen as family and raised as considered like everybody else in the, in the broader family, that there was that level of bias and discrimination. And I don't know how pervasive it is. Uh, I don't know where it stops and starts. And that's a hard part. I mean, maybe... You know, that's something to, to think about and for me to take away and explore in terms of my own family. Uh, where does this, it does exist. We have, it, we had, we have evidence that it existed. Um, where else does it exist? If it exists here, it probably exists somewhere else. But then again, in all fairness, this was back probably in the late 70s and times have changed considerably here in 2022. So, you know, I don't know, Jerry, but... Um, it's something that I'd like to think more about. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And then in your last episode with us on episode 69, you mentioned about the heart attack and then that kind of led to really search for your birth parents. So can you please tell our audience about that? Yeah. And quite a story it is. Quite a story it is. I... Um, for those who haven't heard episode 69, I had a heart attack in 2016, mountain biking with some friends of mine here in my local community. And after I came through surgery, I had a stent procedure in my left anterior descending artery known as the Widowmaker. I was, uh, once the surgery was completed and I was deemed fit for the IC, the recovery unit, um, I was wheeled into my hospital room and I had the room all to myself, which was very nice. And the nurses hooked me up to all the machines and had leads on my chest and IVs in my arms and oxygen meters on the ends of my fingers. And once they saw that I was stable and in good condition to be left alone, the nurses left me to my thoughts. And the first thought that I had, and Jerry, I, I cannot prove this, but I can tell you what I experienced, was that I had a voice speak to me in my right ear that said, find your birth parents. It was very clear. It was very distinct. And I knew in that moment that that's what I needed to do was to go find my biological family. 
I concluded that I just survived this very serious heart attack. I mean, many people don't survive what I went through. And, and I concluded that now's the time to go search. My bi I almost checked out of here. And my biological family might have wanted to know how I turned out. Maybe they wanted to know, did I have a family and had a, a happy life and a happy upbringing? Do I have siblings that might know about me and want to, want to be reunited with their brother? Um, and then I finally also wanted to know, does heart disease run in my biological, in my genes? And that was hugely important to me as well. So after I left the hospital, I was bound and determined to go find my biological family for the first time at age 47 years old. Uh, this is the time, whereas we were talking earlier where I wasn't so, it never really dawned on me to go find my biological family. I mean, I might've thought of it a, thought of it a handful of times growing up and through my teenage and early twenties, but it was a very passing thought. Now it was loud and clear that this is what I wanted to do. And so, but I didn't know where to begin. I left the hospital in my recovery of my heart attack and I didn't know where to start. Do I Google how to find your biological family? Uh, I was a little unaware of the power of these commercial DNA companies like Ancestry and 23andMe. Um, I didn't really, hadn't really thought about using those as, as ways to find my biological family. And it wasn't until I went to my first social event six weeks after my heart attack. I was out at a fundraiser for um, uh, our community and a woman came up to me and said, oh my gosh, Adrian, I heard about your heart attack. And she said, is, is it genetic? And I said, I have no idea, I'm adopted. And she said, have you ever thought about finding your biological family? And I said, well, yeah, now I really wanna find them. And she said, well, where were you born? And I said, well, right down the road here at Marin General Hospital. And she said, well, what was your, what was your birthday? And I was beginning to wonder why was this woman asking me these really intense questions at this social event? And I gave her my birthday and, and, and that was the end of the conversation. It was broken up by other people coming in and, and sort of joining our conversation. That was the end of that. Well, she comes up to me later in the party and holds her phone up to my face and it has a table. And she tells me that this is, this might contain information about my biological family. And I said, I, I can't process this. I'm, I'm having too much fun. Can you email me this tomorrow? So she emails me this document the next day and in it, it lists all the children born in Marin County on my birthday back in 1969. There were five births. Four of the five births have names like John Doe, Jane Doe, or whatever. I mean, just traditional names uh, like Adrian Jones or, or Jury Love or what, whatever. But there was one instance of the five babies that were born that didn't have a conventional name. It just listed the last name of the biological mother and the last name of the biological father. And this friend of mine said to me, this is how California records unwed births. Perhaps these are the last names of your biological family. Do you want to know more? She wrote in her email to me and I replied back immediately. Absolutely. My head is splitting. I want to know more. So two days after that particular event, we went for a walk and she proceeds to tell me she's a genetic genealogist. So she goes out and 
helps people find their genetic roots and their past. And she works a lot with adoptees who are seeking their, their biological families. I couldn't believe the stroke of luck that I had, that I had somebody like this, um, who I will later find out is incredibly talented at her craft, uh, land in my lap and offer her services to help me find my biological family. I couldn't believe it, Jerry. And so we went for a walk and I told her everything I knew about my biological family, her parents rather. Uh, all I knew at that time is that my biological mother was Norwegian or of Norwegian descent, had brothers and was Catholic. And, and my friend, her name is Christina. Christina said, okay, that's great. That's actually a lot of information. And then I, she said, what do you know about your biological father? And I gave her what little information I knew about him. So we continued our walk. At the end of our walk, she had an ancestry DNA kit in her car, which I guess genetic genealogists are want to do is to have these kits readily available for <laughs> immediate use. <laughs> and I spit in the I spit in the vial, and she drove off with my DNA as she was going to send to ancestry. And I thought, I drove home from that meeting thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've I've given personal information to this woman that I just met, and I've, she now has control of my DNA and my sequencing. What have I done? <laughs> but I concluded that things are happening for a reason. I met her for a reason, and I needed to trust this, trust the greater universe that's working that brought us together. So two days after that, so this would be a Thursday, um, in late November 2016, she sends me a text and she says, where are you? I need to show you something. And I was walking my dog relatively near her house. And so I said, I'll be by your house in 20 minutes. And 20 minutes later, I show up at her place and she lets me in. We sit down at the kitchen table and she said, I've been doing some research. And I said, okay. She said, um, I've been looking at, uh, at the last name of what might be the biological mother of that child born to unwed parents. The last name was Kyle, K-Y-L-E. And that's an unusual last name. And so I started looking at all the, the registries and phone books of, of, of the various counties that comprise the, the San Francisco Bay Area, Marin County, Alameda County, San Francisco County, looking for women of childbearing age with the last name Kyle. And she found two. One had given birth uh, in September 1969. I'm an October 1969 baby. And so that that woman was ruled out. That left one other woman who had child rearing age in 1969 with the last name Kyle. And my friend Christina, my new friend at this point, Christina said to me, can you guess where she lived at the time you were born? And I said, I have no idea. I have no idea. And she said, just take a guess. I said, Christina, I really have no idea. I, I, I'm not going to guess. And she said, well, she lived in Marin County, which is where we moved to in 2006. And I said, okay, I guess I'm not surprised by that. So why is that important? And she goes, guess what town she lived in when she, um, in 1969. I said, I have no idea. And she said, um, San Anselmo, California, which is the town that I randomly moved to in 2006 with my wife and two children and a dog. And it turns out, and so I was born in October 69 and Christina did some more research that she shared with me and she found out through ancestry, building her family tree and ancestry that she had 
uh, Norwegian relatives, and she had two brothers. So this started to check out what I knew about her. Um, and then she said, Christina said to me, this person was 24 in 1969. I took her back to when she would have been 18 to see when she would have, if she would have graduated from some of the local high schools in the area. Because public um, uh, yearbooks are public record and available for the public. So she did that. She rolled back this woman's age from 24 and 69 down to like the early 60s and started looking for a woman with the last name Kyle who would have gone to the local high schools, the public high schools. And she didn't find any instance of this particular person. Her name is Sharon Kyle. Lo and behold, Christina says to me, but guess what? And I said, what? She goes, can you guess where she, this person went to the went to a high school? And I thought, oh, no, don't you dare tell me what I think you're going to tell me. Don't you dare tell me. Be, and she said, you better believe it. And I said, what are you? This is crazy. And I start losing my mind and I'm viscerally coming apart at the seams. And I, I my emotions went from zero to 60 so fast. I'm terrified. I'm bracing myself at the table for what she's about to tell me. And she said that this woman, Sharon Kyle, graduated from Marin Catholic High School in 1962. And that's a hugely significant because my daughter was a freshman at Marin Catholic High School and was two months into her freshman year at the same high school that this woman attended many, many years earlier. And then Christina said, so you're freaking out yet? I said, yeah, I'm kind of freaking out, but we don't know that this woman is my mother. And she goes, well, let me just show you something. So I stand up and look over her shoulder onto her, the screen of her laptop. And she shows me a picture of a, a girl who's a sophomore in high school. And instantly I knew I was looking at the face of my biological mother. I knew, I mean, it exploded out of me. I jumped up and screamed, that's her. And I knew I was looking at the face, I was seeing my face in the picture of this black and white photograph of a sophomore girl in high school. I knew that was her. I knew from her eyes, her nose, her cheekbone structure, this was my biological mother. And then I started to freak out. I started to lose like so much visceral emotions exploded from within. It was 